Oh God, help us to hear your word today, as did his disciples who gathered before Jesus the night before he would leave them. In Christ's name, amen. This morning's text comes to us as part of the five-chapter Jesus' last words farewell discourse to his disciples before he was given over to the authorities, persecuted, crucified, and died, and then was raised again. In those five chapters, Jesus tells them and us what is going to happen and also what should happen to us following. In this morning's text, beginning in verses 15 through 25 of John 14, I pray that we hear this word. Jesus says to them, his disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. (coughs) Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, there were more than 12 disciples. There was, there was a bunch of them hanging around Jesus at that time. Not Judas Iscariot said, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the word of the Lord. Some of you might remember, I don't know, 15 or 20 years ago, a YouTube video that went viral of a well-loved Carnegie professor, Randy Paul, who was dying of cancer. In fact, when he made this, it was a speech he gave called The Last Lecture, and when he made this speech, uh, he soon died uh, after. With humor and tears, he stood before his students and his colleagues 
and told them to wonder and not just dream, but follow their dreams. There's nothing unusual about it. It sounds like a normal graduation speech. But this was different because he went on to say that not all of your dreams are possible and the brick walls that you run into will provide a detour that offers another and more important way for all you graduates whose name I will call out after this sermon, hear that. He told them to be loyal to their friends and colleagues and to see the best in everyone to be earnest and truthful and passionate and hardworking. The video is moving because we all know he's died by the time we see it, but it's hopeful and joyful and even playful, leaving everyone laughing and crying. He ends it by sharing that his lecture is really not for them anyway who have gathered, but instead he, he says these words so that they may be given for his three children and that they could then have something of him to help them through life after he is gone. Jesus did not leave a viral video of his last words, his farewell speech to his disciples, but it was recorded in John's gospel and has gone even more viral still for 2,000 years. The way it started was Jesus had a meal with them. And after the meal, he took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he took a cup and he sanctified it. And he said, when you do this in remembrance of me, you do so in my name until I come again. It became for us communion, the Lord's Supper, the sacrament. And then he disrobed himself and covered himself with a towel and knelt at his disciples' really, really dirty feet because they wore thong sandals back then on dusty roads and began to wash them. They all objected, Simon out loud, but Jesus was showing them what it means to be a servant leader, that you kneel at the feet of those you were leading. Last week I preached from the part after the washing where in moving words that are often heard at funerals. He told them what was about to happen to them and started with, do not let your hearts be troubled and neither let them be afraid. In my father's house are many dwelling places or mansions or rooms or houses, lots of space. And I am going there to prepare a place for you. Then when I come back, I will take you there to him myself so that where Jesus is, you will be, and where you are, God will be also. And all of this, he says, before leading up to this morning's text I read. And what he gives them now is their marching orders. Their orders. If you love me, you will keep my command. And if you remember when asked what the great commandment is, sum it up, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the command. If you love me, keep my command. But did I hear Jesus say in this, if you love me then, 
Does that sound conditional to you? If, then? If you love me, you'll take out the garbage. If you love me, then you'll clean up your room, do your homework, and don't talk back. If you love me, you'll stop drinking, you'll stop nagging, you'll start working out and lose weight. It's a conditional threat. For implied in that is if you don't love me, I might not love you back. In our world, we live in a conditional world of relationships. Life is conditional. It's contractual. Part of what it means to grow up, in fact, is to understand the conditions and the contracts upon which we are responsible in our being. It's learning how to meet those conditions of our friends and our loved ones and our colleagues and employees and employers. Most everything in the world works this way. If you do well, then there is a reward. But does love work this way? It too often seems so, I'm afraid. If you do what I ask, then I will show my affection more. This is contractual love. However, as I understand it in the Bible, everything from beginning to end is to tell us that God's love is not contractual, it is covenantal. And the covenant that God has made with us through Israel and then ultimately in Jesus Christ is that God's love is eternal, no matter our condition. If we think otherwise, we become cynical, detached, guarded. I remember a mother who came to me when I was in Jacksonville. She was brokenhearted. She was worn out because her son at 36 was now into his third bout with drug addiction. He had lost his job again. He was about to go homeless, be on the streets. What do I do, she asked. Can you help me be not so codependent? Can you help me keep from bailing him out again and letting him come back home? Can you help me not to keep loving him so much that it breaks my heart? And all I knew to say was, I can, I can help you become less codependent. We can. And I can help find people to stand with you when you refuse to jump out and try to bail them out. But there is nothing I can do about helping you with your broken heart and the cost of what it means to be a mother. Admit it or not, walk away from it or not, from them or not, deny it or not, a parent's love is, is meant to be covenantal, but it also feels too often conditional. We try, but we mess up. The Bible says, however, that God's love is not conditional in the way we think. There are consequences, yes. There are consequences. There's suffering, yes. There's justice, yes. But not abandonment. Never abandonment. 
even knowing, knowing that they will, that, that, that Jesus will abandon him, I mean, that, that they will abandon him, even knowing they will abandon him, Jesus tells them, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and the Father is in me and, and you are in us. If God's presence in Jesus Christ and the death and resurrection of Jesus tell us anything, it tells us this among many. Even when we abandoned and crucified Jesus, God's Son, God did not abandon us. In fact, he keeps coming back to us. So the mission, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. And the teaching the mission, as God loves us, we must learn to love God. A lifetime journey. As God loves us, we must learn to love our neighbors as ourselves. Beginning first with ourselves, by the way, to learn to love ourselves as God loves ourselves, which is not an easy task. But inasmuch as we're able to accept that love of God in ourselves, that I am a child of God, fully loved and, and fully made in God's image, if I start there, then I am now able to see others in that light too, and then maybe able to love them, our neighbors as ourselves. This whole thing is wrapped up in Jesus. He's the living, incarnate, breathing reality of God's compassion and forgiveness, his reaching out to the untouchable, his feeding of the hungry, his constant prayers, his searching for and, and, and embracing the outcast and the last and the lost and the least and the lonely. And even, even people like us who think we've got it made, we know too how last and lost and lonely we are. Jesus says in John's gospel before they even broke ranks and ran, I will not leave you as orphans. If you love me, keep my commands. You must do this. It is not a conditional statement. It is an imperative. But how? How do we do this? How do we do something when it's most often the last thing we feel like doing? Isn't love an emotion? Isn't it something that swoops in on us and, and fills us up with joy and, and fire and passion and, and meaning and emotion and so you can't even eat when you're in the middle of it? Isn't that what love is? No, no, no. That's eros love. Jesus is talking about God love, which is agape love. That is a different kind of love. That's, eros is Hollywood. Agape is reality. Jesus' idea of love is that we continue to work on it and work on it and work on it and confess when we don't achieve it, but get up every morning and in every relationship to work on it again. I can love my neighbor as myself. 
without falling into the trap of codependency, I know all that, and trying to be their savior. It's just simply being willing to get up every day and say, I need God's help to learn how to love that person. That's Jesus' commandment to us. And the promise? The promise is we will not be abandoned even when we fail. But here's the thing. Jesus knew it way before anybody else did. To do this takes practice. We don't just wake up feeling like doing it. It takes practice. And what Jesus knew, we're starting to learn through, uh, through science, through neurology, that there's this thing called cognitive behavioral therapy. And what it does is it teaches us to, to make different decisions and to have different thoughts than the normal negative hijacks that we get. The, and, and the more we have those thoughts of gratitude and love and patience and joy, as opposed to anger and blaming, and so the more we have those thoughts, the more our brain adapts to them. It's neuroplasticity. It actually adapts. It's like, a, it's like an old, some of you remember vinyl LPs? I know it's making a comeback. But the more you play the stylus on the album, the deeper the, 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 the rut becomes, right? Uh, and so the, the more you have the same thoughts over and over again, the deeper the rut's going to be. What they've learned is the more we can choose to have a different thought than that, that we can practice, 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 the more we are able to jump out of that rut by the power of the Holy Spirit, but I'll get to that. And then to start a new groove in our neuroplasticity, our synopsis and our neurons so that we're not completely overcome by the darkness. And Jesus tells them this, you can do it because I am sending with you when I leave the advocate, your helper, your coach. The coach will help you do it. The Holy Spirit, it's called. It's the same Holy Spirit that we heard this morning from Genesis when there was this huge universe of chaos. Just to whom is the word? It's like this stage five on universal scale hurricane. It's just raging waters and chaos and nothing's formed and, there's, and, and, and in the midst of that sits the wind of God, the Ruach it's called. By the way, that's feminine. The wind is feminine in Old Testament and in New Testament, Numa is feminine. That's a shout out for mothers, God having like mother as well as father. And so the Ruach brings order, the wind blows and calms down the chaos and brings order. And all through the rest of the Bible, this wind of God is being blown across God's creation to keep bringing order in the midst of chaos. Paul in Galatians says that you know it's the wind only after the fact. You know it's not the wind, by the way, when it's unanimous. I can tell you, when it is passionately unanimous, it is a dark, dark, evil wind that is blowing. Because that means that you're living in a totalitarian world and you don't have the freedom to speak up. That's one clue that it's not the Holy Spirit. You know it's the Holy Spirit 
when the process, even though you don't agree, still forms community as you go through it and you don't push people out. You know it's the Holy Spirit, Paul says, when there is less impurity and enmity and strife and anger and quarrels and more love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruits of the Spirit. And you know it only because it's invisible. The wind's invisible. You don't know, you can't see it, but you know it by the fruits. You know it by the wake it leaves. And if it leaves a wake that looks like Jesus, that must be the Holy Spirit. And the question is now, Jesus has, has been raised and now he's ascended and he's left us the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we catch this? You practice it. Got it? You practice it. We can't control it. We can't make it happen, but you practice it, and we practice it together in community, and the more we practice being like the fruits of the Spirit, the more the Spirit will be made real to us. The Bible says that wherever two or more together are gathered, in Jesus' name, the Spirit will blow, which is to say that it takes a village to discern this. And we don't always get it right. And in Presbyterian fashion, there are a whole lot of voices involved in it, not just one in a vertical process, but, but a horizontal process of a whole lot of voices. It doesn't always go exactly as it should because of that. But it means that everyone has a voice, and when everyone has a voice, the Spirit is present. And as we gather this morning, knowing that we are in the midst of the winds of change, Alan left less than a year and a half ago. Annie is leaving. Sooner or later, I will be. The wind is moving. What will be next? You know how to catch it? We catch it if we love God with all our heart and mind and soul and our neighbors as ourselves as we go through this. That's how we catch it. We catch it when we, when we follow Presbyterian process, which doesn't always go well, doesn't always make it perfect, but we follow that process as hard as it seems. We catch it when we wake up every day and try to produce the fruits of the Spirit. And when we do... My goodness, the sail of this boat called St. Simon's will be so filled up with the spirit and wind of God, there's no telling where you may set off to. But it starts with us. Let us pray. Oh God, open our hearts and our arms to discern the wind blowing among us then open our wills that they may be filled with the power of your spirit and catch the winds of love that we are called to follow in Christ's name. Amen. Let us now bring forth the gifts of our lives and our labors. <laughs>